0: Welcome to episode 237 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Three weeks ago at COP28, 22 countries, including Canada, the U.S., the U.K. and France, pledged to triple nuclear power capacity by 2050. A few days later, the annual World Nuclear Industry Status Report, a comprehensive overview of nuclear power plant data, was released. The report is a hard-headed, evidence-focused view of the nuclear industry that suggests the COP28 pledge is a pipe dream. I'll be speaking with the project coordinator and editor, Michael Schneider. He joins us from Paris, France. So welcome to Energy Talks, Michael.
1: Thanks very much for inviting me.
0: Well, I there's a lot of interest in Canada right now in small modular uh, nuclear reactors. We'll get to those, um, but maybe first you can tell us a little bit about your report because I understand this is the 18th edition of it. And um, what's what's in the report?
1: In a few words, 549 pages. <laughs> Well, the basic idea of this uh, analysis, uh, which we've d- been doing now annually over the past uh, 16 years since 2007, uh, is a multi-indicator analysis that is carried out by an international group of uh, senior experts uh, in in various fields, um, interdisciplinary. Uh, uh, a really hard fact-based, uh, lots of numbers in the in the report, uh, uh, over two thousand references. I mean, it's 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 really uh, a data loading uh, volume, and the, the 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 basic idea is to provide a carpet for debate. Uh, Where we've seen um, over and over again, that this is this debate is kind of lifted up somewhere in the air, uh, and is not rooted somewhere in in uh, the factual uh, foundation. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And, and, and I'm I'm very uh, uh, proud to have such an extraordinary team of experts that go from uh, University of British Columbia, by the way, Uh, uh, M. V. Ramana, professor at the uh, university is one of our uh, uh, core authors. Uh, We have uh, people from the Technical University in Berlin, think tanks like Chatham House in London, Uh, Nagasaki University. And we also had a guest author from Johannesburg University in South Africa. So it's really four continents. Uh, It's a dozen experts. It's very international and very interdisciplinary.
0: Well, here at Energy Talks, we pride ourselves on interviewing uh, leading experts in various aspects of the energy industry. So the fact that you're report uh, has uh, that kind of expertise behind it. It speaks highly of it. Um, so let's get to the COP28 pledge to triple nuclear power. Um, I take it that you think that this is unlikely to happen.
1: Well, I would go one step further. This is impossible to happen. Just to to clarify what it would mean. Uh, we currently have uh, about to simplify things, about four hundred reactors, four hundred and twelve to be precise uh, in operation around the world. And um, I, I'm sticking to the to the numbers of reactors because it makes it it makes it easier. Um, <clears throat> uh, we have looked into, you know, the question, how many reactors are will actually uh, or are likely to go offline? to go offline until 2050, because that's one of those forgotten little facts is that there will not only be new reactors, but there's also reactors that will shut down. So we're considering that all of the reactors that are currently operating and have a lifetime extension, uh, you know that many reactors have been refurbished like in Canada or got lifetime extensions licenses like most of the reactors in the United States. Uh, up to 60 years now, there's even a few that got a license for 80 years of operation. So we consider they will do that. They will go to the end, which which is actually very conservative because no reactor in the world has ever operated for 60 years. So leave alone for 80, 80 years. But we consider that. We, we consider all of these reactors go to the end of their license and all of the reactors that are currently under construction by mid-year, that was 58, will actually enter operation, you know, when scheduled, et cetera, et cetera. So if that happens, in addition to the ones that are under construction, the industry would need to build another 270 reactors over those 27 years. You don't need to be cracking mathematics to uh, know that this is 10 per year, right? So. We, we don't predict the future, but we know exactly what happened in the past. So if you look over the past 20 years between 2003 uh, uh, and uh, 20, uh, mid-2023, a total of 103 reactors started up, 110 were closed. Now, that means it, there was a slight deficit on a global scale. But we should stress that 50 of those startups, so almost half, was in China. So the deficit outside China is 57 units. That's the industrial reality uh, that we have seen. So if we need 10 reactors per year just to break even by 2050, it (laughs) it means we have to double the frequency of construction Merely to stay at the same level,
0: one of the points I found really interesting uh, was that the uh, in the last I forget how many years now, but the of the uh, the reactors that have been completed uh, they were either done in China or they were completed by the Russian nuclear industry in other countries. Does that suggest that at this moment, the expertise, the supply chains, the engineering, all of that is is not in North America. It's not in Europe. It's primarily in Russia and China. And how much of an impediment would that be to for those other countries or the, the signatories to COP28 pledge, you know, to to build new reactors?
1: Well, to be to be very concrete here in this issue, the the largest nuclear builder in terms of uh, implementing the the national industry's design is Russia. It's it's actually not even China, because Russia uh, is also building in China. So there is like of the currently uh, um, built reactors that that are under construction 24 uh, are done by the there are Russian design in various countries, only five at home. The rest is in, in various other countries. Uh, so it's it's Russia is the dominating internationally, the dominating nuclear builder. If we look at the the all of the reactors worldwide that started building since in the UK, the last unit began building that was in 2019 at Hinckley Point C, it's a French company building those reactors there. Um, uh, there were in total in the world 28 uh, construction starts. Of those, 17 are in China and all 11 others are implemented by the Russian industry. So over the past four years plus, there is not a single reactor that got uh, off the ground in the sense of beginning building uh, outside uh, China and not implemented by the Russian nuclear industry.
0: Now, one of the things we've learned in watching the clean energy industry scale up in China uh, and compared to Europe and North America is scaling is not easy. It Takes a lot of money, it takes time, and given where russia is right now i mean it's you know it's a it's a it's a political pariah after the invasion of ukraine i can't imagine that you know the uh, com- countries in the uk and, or, or north america uh, are going to be keen uh, to do business with russia if they want to build nuclear reactors so if if that assumption is correct then that leaves a much smaller pool of companies uh, and experts to build out all of these reactors that would be necessary to meet the COP28 pledge. And I guess what I'm what I'm asking is, doesn't that, I mean, if it was impossible, if it, if it was impossible with existing capacity, the, the status of Russia, and nobody wants to do it, it, just makes it that much more difficult. Makes, I don't know, more impossible, if it were.
1: Well, I mean, we, we can go through the, the, the potential builders. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the Chinese have a double problem. They, they only built outside the country in Pakistan uh, a, a nuclear power plant. And uh, there is no other uh, example uh, as yet. Um, so there is no experience of the Chinese industry. And the Chinese industry has the other challenge that it's, the, the two key nuclear companies cgn and cnnc have been blacklisted by the by the us government and you know how difficult it is for any western company to make business with any company about, around the world that is blacklisted by the us government so china for china it's very very difficult to 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 get the off the ground anything off the ground now uh, being being blacklisted. So Russia is obviously in a very delicate situation. And it has been suggested more than once that, for example, the European Parliament passed resolutions to, to uh, sanction Rosatom, uh, the, the nuclear Russian nuclear builder. I mean, we have a, an unprecedented situation where this company <laughs> that is building around the planet is actually directly involved in a military occupation of a nuclear power plant in a foreign country, in Ukraine. This company is actually, their engineers are present at the nuclear power plant in Saporizhia uh, uh, right now. So this is kind of a bizarre uh, case in history. So what does that mean in terms of reliability of international cooperation in such a uh, you know sensitive issue as as nuclear and again the, the 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 so-called pledge i mean pledge means promise nothing else right so it's nothing binding and it couldn't be binding because it's impossible but one of the other things that are that are actually interesting is those 22 countries, which include, by the way, not only the industrialized countries that you've mentioned, but also Ghana, for example, that has not a single nuclear power plant and won't have one, you know, most likely. So, but that pledge was for the entire world. So you have 22 countries that pledged to triple the the capacity in, in the world. And it would mean like building... I I said before, 270 to break even, but to triple the existing one, you would need to build in 27 years way over a thousand nuclear reactors, you know, with the industrial situation that we have. And if you allow just a few words on the three other potential suppliers, that is the Korean uh, um, Kepco, uh Korean electric power company, which is, uh, which is also uh, a majority state owned, which has only built one nuclear power plant abroad, which was in the United Arab Emirates. Now I can tell you that the conditions to build a nuclear power plant in the UAE is probably not exactly the same than in Canada or in Sweden. I mean, it's just not comparable. And it didn't work all that well. The project is years behind schedule. Uh, We don't know about finances because that's not very accessible. But it's also a company that has way over $100 billion, uh, close to uh, 150 billion uh, of liabilities. I mean, those are dimensions which are incredible, but not a good basis to invest uh, lots of money in, in other countries. The second one is, the French EDF, Electricité de France, state-owned. You, that's a good basis, you would say. There's lots of uh, support. But the company was renationalized entirely uh, last year because it has a huge debt load of 65 billion net. Uh, so, uh, and it, it, it's very uh, busy with its operating fleet. Incidentally, it has been importing welders from Canada and the United States, because it didn't have enough workforce to, uh, you know, deal with its own technical problems in its existing fleet. Not really good basis to build, you know, somewhere else. And the, 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 the remaining other one is Westinghouse. And Westinghouse, in you know, went bankrupt in 2017, abandoned two of uh, uh, four... Uh, reactors under construction in the US after having spent t- close to 10 billion, nine rate p- uh, payer increases with a project that is now out in the rain. Um, and it's a company that when it went bankrupt was bought by Canadian Holding and uh, now with shareholding from Cameco that is an, a uranium company and has never built an, a nuclear reactor. So those are the, that is the situation of the three competitors outside China and Russia that not really a phen- phenomenal good basis to build over a thousand reactors over the next 27 years.
0: Uh, goodness gracious, no. Uh, well, let's talk about the decline of nuclear, Never mind the expansion of nuclear. We, you had alluded, uh, earlier to the, some, you know, plants, uh, the number that are regularly closing per year. Um, it sounds like a pretty dramatic decline in the in the number of operating plants around the world
1: well we we you know it's interesting to see that actually that trend has been going on for decades the largest number of reactors uh, has operated in 2002 um the the uh, it's it's also interesting that uh, incidentally we got a, a new peak of installed operating capacity by the end of last year but it produced dramatically less than before and one of the reasons of course is that you know we have the the world has an uh, an aging nuclear fleet uh, the the age in uh, uh in in the U.S. now on average is 42 years my god can you imagine what the cars looked like in Canada 42 years ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, they weren't exactly the same technology age than they are today. So in a lot of countries, uh, you know, there's trouble with existing with the existing fleet. So the the output decline by four percent, that that is steep, a steep decline in 2022. If you take out China, where the the production increased by three percent. the 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 rest of the world plunged by five um, by five percent. And if you look at the share of nuclear power, that peaked already in the mid nineteen nineties, and uh, is now standing at uh, in twenty twenty two at nine point two percent, which is almost half of what it was in 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 the mid nineteen nineties. All of the main indicators, like the the largest number of uh, startups uh, of new new reactors was in in uh, in the middle of the 1980s. The largest number of reactors listed as under construction was in 1979. And the, you know, and the largest number of construction starts was in 1976, at 44 at the time, 44 units start, started building in 1976. In 2023, the year is not over, but we've had four construction starts, you know? So, so it's, it's, you know, literally a, um, an order of magnitude uh, a difference. And it's been a, a decline that has been ca- kind of initiated a long time ago.
0: I, France is often brought up in conversation about a, a, a nuclear power uh, that has been fairly successful, in uh, I think it's seventy-eight or eighty uh, percent of the the country's power uh, is that, derived yes, that from. That was a long time ago. Oh, okay, <laughs> but that's that's where I'm going with this question. The that has dropped considerably, and it has to do with the poor performance of the French nuclear fleet. Can you tell
1: what can you tell us about that? Well, this is this is part of the complexity of the issue. Like uh, news outlets will you know cover. You know, it's significant problem that pops up, uh, and we, we've seen a very, very difficult issue that it's it's called stress corrosion cracking, which for once is not an aging issue, but it's a mere uh, it's a design issue, it's a material quality issue, it's it's an operational issue. It 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 has it's a highly complex. Phenomenon, but it led to to the to the uh, provisional shutdown of a lot of reactors in, in in France. But it was only accumulation to other issues. That's what people forgot. So what we've seen. Let me give you one. Uh, sorry to throw in so many numbers, but but it's it's really really striking when you look at the at the period of uh, the years between two thousand five and and 2015, the French uh, nuclear output was pretty stable. And in nine from those 10 years, it was over 400 uh, terawatt hours, that is billion uh, kilowatt hours. Now, in last year, it dropped below 280 terawatt hours. So the drop from that average, it's not even peak. The peak was 430, but that average over those, t- those 10 years it's a loss of 120 uh, terawatt hours, okay? So if you compare the year 2010, which was the year prior to the Fukushima disaster, uh, uh, or when it began rather than, because it's not over, uh, and you compare it with 2022, the French output lost 129 terawatt hours. Now let's have a look at Germany. Germany decided in after uh, the Fukushima events to phase out nuclear power and closed its last reactors uh, this year in 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 April. Germany lost between 2010 and 2022 106 terawatt hours. Isn't that interesting? So 106 lost in Germany due due to the phase out, coordinated, organized, scheduled to the day uh, of closure, which is a dreamland for investors because they know there is one, two, three, four gigawatts in the marketplace to be taken at a given day. Can you believe that? I mean, that a better insurance you can't get in terms of investment security, right? Uh, and you compare that with the French experience, which is totally unplanned, shocking, you know, disconcerting, you know, a suffered, uh, you know, reduction of uh, nuclear output, and I think that is is is, is, is that that's a good basis for our discussion.
0: Well, let's continue it with by talking about Ontario because Ontario has had three reactors; two of them uh, are going to be refurbished, one of them is going to be. Closed. What's you? And given the experience in France, um, is it possible to cost effectively and in a in reasonable time frame refurbish uh, nuclear reactors?
1: Well, I mean, every country is different, and the Canadian nuclear industry now claims they have an example where they actually did refurbish um, uh, a reactor on time on budget. I'm not qualified to judge on that, whether it was on time or on budget, even less on budget. Uh, but uh, let's, let's put it that way. If that is true, if that was true, uh, it's an exception, a must, you know, a whole long list of um, uh, areas where, of, of countries and nuclear reactors where actually outages take a lot longer than uh, anticipated. We have done a very detailed analysis uh, for pre-COVID year 2019 on the French fleet. And uh, if you if you look, you realize that the actual outages uh, have been over 40% longer than anticipated at the first day of the outage when the outage began. So, you know it wasn't possible at at all to precisely predict uh, when these reactors would come back online. By 2022, the outage days per reactor were between four in the year and 365 because five reactors did not generate a single uh, kilowatt hour uh, during that year. And the average was 152 uh, days uh, with zero production, not reduced zero production uh, uh, throughout the year per uh, reactor. So very unreliable. And and and, and I find it always um, amusing when people uh, call like uh, uh, renewables intermittent. You know, while uh, you know the, the it's it's amazing because solar power is indeed intermittent. But it's very predictable. The sun actually goes up every day. It's pretty reliable, you know, and in terms of predictability of output, it's now so precise that, you know, in the Indian in the Indian electricity market, you get a penalty if you have if you're off the, the production on a half hour basis by by more than 10 or 15 percent. So. So it's very predictable while, you know, when a nuclear reactor is not back from outage, it's zero production and it's very unpredictable.
0: Let's talk about the another unpredictable uh, topic, and that is small modular reactors. Now, it's very interesting uh, that there are four provinces in Canada that, that have uh, banded together and they, they want to promote the development and use of SMRs in Canada. Um, apparently, there are four SMR units in operation, two in China, two in Russia. And you argue that in fact, the construction history suggests that SM, those SMRs uh, delivered exactly the opposite of what they had promised.
1: Yeah, I mean, small miraculous reactors it has become kind of a, an interesting acronym as, as uh, SMRs, uh, but they're not really miraculous. Uh, the, the Russian example showed that the, the planned construction duration was 3.7 years and reality was 12.7 years i mean in russia by by russian industry that claimed we know how to do these things because it's based on you know small reactors that we have in uh, nuclear not only nuclear submarines but the russians are also the only ones that use it, that use them in icebreakers for example so that they do have civil applications of that sort so you know people thought this is if, if there is one country in one industry that knows how to do this, it's the Russian industry. Well, it didn't work all that well uh, in, in terms of construction time. And on top of it, they don't deliver a lot of electricity. Their load factor is very, very low. And for both units, we don't understand why. We don't have any information, whether it's for technical reasons or operational reasons. We don't know. Uh, but, the, you know, that's according to the numbers that ha- they have the Russians have transmitted to the International Atomic Energy Agency. The Chinese example is similar. I mean, it's a high temperature reactor of 100 megawatt that that was supposed to be built in five years, and it took more than ten years to 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 finish the project. And we have no information whatsoever on their uh, productivity because the Chinese have not uh, transmitted any information uh, to international organizations. So it's certainly not Uh, uh, good examples. But I think the main point outside China and Russia is elsewhere. There is no certified design in the Western world. None. And there is one exception, but that's not really it's more like a prototype that is under construction since 2014 in Argentina. It's kind of a home design. And I understand it's more like a prototype uh, uh, thing than a modular reactor, right? That is meant to be built in series. So, uh, you know, in Canada, politicians are discussing about an uh, an acronym called SMR, but the the Canadian safety authority has not licensed uh, a single reactor uh, of that sort. So we are we have to look what are actually the lead times between development and uh, um, uh, construction. And we, we, if we take the example of the most advanced project in in North America, it was new scale. And new scaled. Uh, um, uh, just a few words on the issue, because it's really the the example on SMRs in North America. Uh, they readjusted cost estimates in the at the beginning of the year. And they came up with $9.3 billion US uh, for 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 a six module uh, 462 megawatt uh, plant, that means that if you calculate it, it's twenty thousand dollars per installed kilowatt of capacity. Now to put that into perspective, that's about twice as expensive as the most expensive European pressurized water reactor. So it's twice as expensive than the <laughs> the, the largest new. Uh, reactors, the most expensive ones. So that is uh, the the situation. And it led to the most advanced uh, project, which was a conglomerate of uh, Utah municipalities to terminate their project. So currently, the most advanced uh, project uh, that was the only one that had some commercial background was terminated because they couldn't find enough uh uh municipalities or other clients that would subscribe to the output of the facility
0: um in canada the company i uh, i hear about most often that that claims to have an smr technology ready to go is hitachi
1: ge and... hitachi it's it's also um co- combined company it's oh, GE, I see general electric hitachi right.
0: Okay. Didn't know that. Good to know. Uh, what Have you any got any thoughts about, about that design? It, has it been built somewhere else, you know, in, in another country? Uh, I think you're talking licensed? about
1: the, the BWRX that is proposed for the Darlington uh, site.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, GE and Hitachi are not startups. It's 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 a different situation if a company like EDF or GE Hitachi or or the likes start uh, with that kind of project. But the BWRX is not licensed anywhere in the world, and uh, I don't even know whether whether the GE Hitachi has now finally submitted uh, a, a licensing application to the. Uh, to the uh, uh, Canadian uh, Safety Commission. So, uh, uh, you, you know, we're in the very early stages of development. Uh, you know, it, for the time being, we're talking pretty much of, uh, about PowerPoint reactors, PowerPoint designs, you know. It's, it takes a long time. Once, and you, you know, if you look at the original thinking of these projects, New Scale, for example, said uh, around 2008 they would have a reactor up and running in 2015. You know, if you look at the uh, Darlington side, they say they will have a reactor up and running by 2029. But you know, if you look at EDF, for example, they they started with the development uh, of a uh, of a small modular reactor, and they said we we. We aim to start building at 2030. I mean, the probability that all of this happens is very low. Is very low. And even if, even if, a reactor, one reactor here, one reactor there, was, uh, you know, built and you know started up sometime in the in the 2030s. Uh, it, it would not mean that there's hundreds or even thousands of these reactors. That's the, that's the point. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking uh, a large series, when we need, need to get the to the um, scaling effect by the number if it's not by size.
0: Right. So it, if you can't do a 400 megawatt uh, reactor, but you're doing one megawatt rea- SMRs, you need 400 of them. And, and you need to scale up that ma- that manufacturing in your plant. And we're just not seeing it's not it's not happening yet, not likely to happen in the uh, in the near future.. Uh...
1: Well, it might not be one megawatt, but even if it's 10 megawatts, it's 30 or 100 megawatts. you know I mean, it's it is, um, it's it's just impossible to build as many of these things you would need in in, in order to come uh, to a uh, significant uh, installed capacity.
0: Well, Michael, this has been fascinating. And you've given me uh, and my listeners a very different perspective on the nuclear industry and on SMRs and on the COP28 pledge than we've been getting from other sources. And uh, so thank you very much for this. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's, a pl- it's been a pleasure and thanks for having me.
0: We'll have you back because I, have a sus- uh, I suspect that nuclear is not going away, in, in the discussion in Canada anyway.
1: The talk of nuclear is not going to go away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.